Good morning, beautiful people. You are tuned in to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and live streaming at kpoo.com. I want to thank you for being here with me this morning. This is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. Um, I hope that you are all not feeling just kind of a sense of despair around um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing and Mitch McConnell and his minions once again um, taking full um, just evil advantage of this fact and now wanting to quickly confirm before a new president has been elected um, another right-wing court, Supreme Court appointee. So uh, it's hard. Take a breath and remember that there is always some movement to be had somewhere. Uh, we, We have been faced with a lot. We have been under assault. All of us that have been working on the ground uh, it during the COVID pandemic, um, for all of the social justice issues, and of course here on Prison Focus Radio um, with prison prisoner human rights issues, prison conditions, um, and how it is affecting not only um, our community members, our caged community members inside, but their families and us, the loved ones, and the community. So, again, please try not to despair because that is what is going to sap us of the energy that we need to, again, find those openings, find those small spaces where we can move and we can be, we can maneuver and be strategic. So, um, We are in this together. If you are here listening, uh, that means that you have meaning in your life, that you care about things. So keep doing that because in the end, what moves us is love. So we have to come at this with revolutionary love, unity, and a great sense of our humanity and seeing the humanity in others. All right, I am going to stop talking. Know that I love you. I give a big shout out to those of you that are listening behind the walls and your family members and loved ones. And we are going to have a great show again today because we are always hearing from those of you most impacted and their families. And we're going to do it with love. Here we go. Okay, people, please bear with me. I had to do a bit of a switch up. Um, Unfortunately, my intended guest was not able to be with us this morning, Uh, but as it happened, I came across a Facebook Live from Ash Kalra, who is the State Assembly Member um, of of San Jose, and he was uh, hosted a panel, well, he wasn't hosting, sorry, but he was part of a panel talking about this historic California Racial Justice Act which is AB 2542, and it is passed through the legislature and it's now sitting on Governor Newsom's desk. 
I want to encourage all of you, and hopefully you will be encouraged, to uh, write, call, email of the governor to make sure that he uh, signs this bill into law. Um, I was very um, pleased about some of the language that I heard from the speakers like Chesa Boudin, um, Howard, uh, Amber Rose Howard from Curb and others. Um, and so I wanted to play some of it. And I encourage all of you to listen to the whole uh, panel discussion, which um, is only just over an hour. If you go to Ash Kalra's Facebook page, Ash is A-S-H, his last name, K-A-L-R-A. Go to his Facebook page and listen to that. Um, I think uh, you might be pleased as well. So, um, all right, here we go. Thanks for bearing with me. Chasa, uh, we know that you're particularly committed to the racial justice in the courtrooms and as a district attorney, why do you think it's important to reverse a ruling that was tainted by racial discrimination? And can you talk about your experience witnessing racism in the courtroom firsthand? Absolutely. First of all, thank you all for bringing us together to talk about this important issue and to encourage the governor to sign this groundbreaking piece of legislation. I want to send a particularly special thank you to the assembly members who sponsored and wrote this legislation for their courage and their vision. Look, we all know in this moment in American history that racism has played a role in the design and implementation of criminal justice systems, of criminal justice laws and sentencing guidelines, going all the way back to the days of slavery. It is not a secret. It is something we are acutely aware of. And yet there has been a refusal on the legislative front, on the policy front, on the judicial front to address this history and its current manifestations. It is high time that we take action, bold action, to ensure that our criminal justice system is no longer tainted by a legacy of slavery of Jim Crow or of mass incarceration that unfairly and disproportionately targets communities of color. Any lawyer who spent time in a criminal courtroom anywhere in this country has witnessed the ways in which, sometimes subtle, sometimes obvious, racism continues to shape the outcomes of those accused of crimes. I can remember countless circumstances when I was a public defender, for example, when I would represent an African-American client and a co-defendant charged with the same conduct, facing the same allegations, was given a lower bail amount than my client. The only difference being the color of their skin. I remember one instance, for example, where I saw a colleague of mine discussing whether a judge would release her client and when they were in chambers discussing the release with the judge, the judge agreed that under the circumstances he would impose non-monetary conditions and agree to release her client. When they went into the courtroom, went on the record and her client walked out of the jail cell, he was a tall, large African-American man with dreadlocks. And for some reason, that image changed the judge's mind. And what he agreed to in chambers, release with restrictive conditions on this man's liberty were no longer enough. And instead, once looking at a man with dreadlocks and dark black skin, the judge decided that he was going to keep the man incarcerated. That kind of racism continues to play a role in cases all across the state every day. And it is high time that we move forward and move on. There are some prosecutors and judges who oppose this bill because they claim 
that it does not require a defendant to show prejudice or to prove that that kind of discrimination I've just described had changed the outcome of the case. In other words, they'll say some cases where people are truly guilty will get reversed simply because there was some racist statement made by some judge or some investigating officer. This argument itself demonstrates why we need this bill. The fact that people are willing to tolerate deprivation of liberty, life sentences, and all of the other consequences that come with a criminal conviction when they know that there is manifest racism in the process that led to that conviction is all the proof we need that this legislation is necessary. In our legal system, we usually send cases back for a retrial whenever our core values, constitutional principles, have been violated, regardless of whether the judge or prosecutors believe the defendant is actually guilty. Now, that's what a fair and just system requires. When our core principles, our constitutional rights are violated, we have to start the process over again. The Judicial Council, the governing body for the California judiciary, found in 2019 that defendant characteristics like race continue to be significantly associated with conviction rates, with whether someone is convicted of a misdemeanor or a felony, and with whether they get sentenced to prison or something less draconian. Black men convicted of felonies were 42% more likely to be sentenced to a prison term than a white man convicted of a felony. These racial disparities continue to plague the outcomes of our justice system and the trust and integrity that the public see in our systems. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to follow up, do we know what other costs there are, including financial costs, that these racial disparities that occur in charges and sentencing? Perhaps Brendan can follow up with this question. Sure, yeah. So I was thinking about the cost, and there is always the cost of retrial, but we can't really put a cost or price tag on racism. We can't put a price tag on false incarceration. We can't put a price tag on the disparities. The cost that has been paid or paid forward by primarily the black community for 400 years, you can't put a price tag on that. You can't put a price tag on the fact that in the jail in Alameda County, which is 12% black, the jail is actually 48% black. You can't put a price tag on the disparity. You can't put a price tag on the fact there are black families who are missing fathers, there are black families that are missing mothers that are incarcerated due to the fact that our system is so inherently racist. I keep thinking about, and I was going to say this later, we keep talking about this term that the courts use called harmless error. That is a falsehood. There's nothing harmless about the legacy of slavery. There's nothing harmless about white supremacy. There's nothing harmless about the dehumanization that occurs to black and brown families that are incarcerated. There is nothing harmless about systemic racism that occurs in our courts day and day after day. And so if we want to talk about a price tag, the cost of fixing racism is worth it. It's worth it. And those who are saying the cost will be prohibitive, it's just not true. Cases are sent back all the time on appeal. This will not increase the amount that come back. This will hopefully 
prevent prosecutors and judges and police officers from getting it wrong in the first place. That's the goal here. Let's keep them from acting in a racist fashion and prohibit this conduct from occurring as it does right now. So I'm I'm sorry if I get a little fired up about that, but uh, we shouldn't be talking about costs when it comes to racism. All right, that was Brendan Woods. He is a criminal defense attorney and obviously an advocate for criminal justice. He is uh, currently working as the public defender for Alameda County. All right, we are going to hear now from Amber Rose Howard and then Natasha Minsker of Smart Justice. Right, here we go. Oh, and excuse me, it is Rosern Budesberg, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, who is facilitating and asking the questions. The costs of racism in our criminal justice system. Um, Amber Rose, um, not just the fiscal cost, but also the the human cost. Um, we know that even the most conservative estimates show that adopting uh, the Racial Justice Act will save more money than it costs. But what does it mean to actually put a price tag on civil rights? You know, thanks so much, Rosa, for that question. I think that something we have to really, really, truly think about is, you know. Um, we have a budget for corrections in the state of California for over $15 billion. Um, we know that budgets are a statement for our values, right? And so uh, when we're continually spending and, and growing the budget for corrections, very much aware that racism is rooted in our courtrooms and in policing and in the system of public safety, very much aware that sentencing structures, which give long sentences, um, uh, crafted with racist motivations, um, we must come to a place where we're ready to change that. You know, so shall we continue to deny human rights and civil rights because of what it's going to cost? You know, denying human and civil rights has already cost us millions of black lives over decades, right? And in addition to black folks, we're talking about other folks who are not white identifying who do not come from affluent communities. We have already paid the price for not having civil rights in our courtrooms with the lives of all of these people, of all of my people, of all of our people. So denying human civil rights has already cost us so much. Aren't we more concerned with the cost of human life and the cost of civil rights over dollars? Isn't that the foundation that we kind of build our motivations for being American and for living this American life on? We've lost so many great leaders even this year in 2020 who live for the very purpose of helping the world recognize and helping America recognize our duty to human life over profit. You know, we must care enough about black lives brown lives, indigenous lives, native lives, Asian lives, to confront racism in our courts. We must move further along in righting the wrongs of our racist past. And passing this bill is certainly a way to do that. Passing this bill says we should center people. We should center the values that we all truly believe can shape the future of this country. And the most cost-effective way to do that is for the the California legislature, which they already have voted for, and now for the California governor, Gavin Newsom, to sign this bill. We also need to recognize and lift up, you know, this this fact to our district attorneys and to judges who are in our courtrooms to say, hey, aren't you all ready to move past this point of putting a dollar 
on, on, at the cost of humanity, we invite them to join us and to think about this next step forward. We can't afford to deny civil rights in the courtroom another day. We have to move forward right now passing this bill. Even in this moment of 2020, as we see people across the state of California and across the nation calling for racial justice. You know, when we think about what's happening in this country right now, we recognize that it's because it's not because of everything that we've seen on social media over the last year or two or three or five. It's because we've lived decades long under state violence that impacts black people and other people of color disproportionately and systemically. And so that's why we're calling for this bill at this time. That's why we cannot wait any longer to move it. And when we think about costs, let's think about the cost of human lives over dollars. Let's try to actually center people over profit. And that's why CURB, California United for Responsible Budget, is very proud to be a co-sponsor on this bill. We're incredibly excited to have worked with Assemblymember Calvert this year, um, who really, really stood up and said, you know what, this is important this year. There's lots going on this year, but we cannot wait another legislative cycle to address and to enact civil rights in our courtroom. So when we ask ourselves about costs, let's think of the cost of human lives over the dollar. And that's my answer to that. Thank you. Do you have um, anything to add, um, uh, especially why uh, in particular um, uh, the Mikleski case is so important? Absolutely. Thank you for that question, Roserin. So the McCleskey case is a infamous U.S. Supreme Court case from 1987 in which, uh, by a, a slim five to four majority, the U.S. Supreme Court held that in a death penalty case, when confronted with evidence that people, black people who are convicted of killing white victims are much more likely to receive a death sentence, Confronted with that evidence, accepting that evidence as valid and true, the U.S. Supreme Court said, there is nothing we can do about this under the Constitution, uh, and said very famously that this kind of racial disparity in our criminal justice system is simply inevitable. Justice Brennan, in dissent in that case, said, this is the fear of too much justice. The majority was saying that we can't address this kind of racism in our courts and racial disparities in even the most serious death sentences because to do so would require really a radical new approach to how we handle criminal justice. Uh, and Justice Brennan in, in dissent said, this is ridiculous. This is the fear of too much justice and that is not something we should be afraid of. Uh, years, decades later, uh, one of the Justices in the majority of McCleskey, uh, after he retired, said that is the one decision in his life that he regrets, that he wishes he had been in the other side and ruled the other way. It is a decision that in the legal community is considered the Dred Scott case of our day. And for those of you who are not lawyers, Dred Scott was the case that essentially found legitimate slavery under the Constitution. Uh, and so I, I do not exaggerate when I say that the McCleskey case lives in infamy in our laws in California and, and the U.S. and that it is time for us to address it. Fortunately, the U.S. Supreme Court said we're finding this is there's no remedy here under our Constitution. Our Constitution wasn't written for this, but states that want to do better and want to act can. Individual states can pass laws that address this harm 
and it is beyond time, far beyond time, for California to do the same. Uh, and so we are so excited that the Racial Justice Act is on the governor's desk, that a strong majority of the legislators uh, supported it and, and recognized that it is time for us to bring civil rights into California's criminal courts. And, and this is a moment that Governor Newsom can set the, the direction for the rest of the nation and really make racial justice a reality in our criminal courts. Thank you. Yes, the phrase require a radical new approach. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it, people. And let's let this sink in. Fear of too much justice. That's Reaching for the Stars by Ambion. All right, if you're just now joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and I am your host, Nube Brown. Now we are going to get some schooling from Imolimu. Yeah, yeah, it's good Great. because they put me on this phone. This phone was broken a couple of days ago, but now it's working. What's going on with that in terms of the rest of the guys, too? What's going on? Yeah, it, it was, it was I think, defective. It just it had, it had a bad reception to whereas we could hear you all, but you all couldn't hear us. So oh, usually they have people around the clock, you know, maintenance people that can fix um, things if the power goes out. Like right now, there's no hot water in the shower. Uh, the problem yeah. was in here earlier. I don't know what was the outcome of that. But uh, the cold showers still feel kind of good because it's not too cold just yet. It's still kind of warm outside, kind of. But it's just muggy because of the smoke from all uh, the fires. So yes, of little course. Things, you know, yeah, it's just little things around here be, be happening. But it's an old prison, and they don't really try to keep it up. You know, that's basically you got to keep yourself up and challenge them on everything. They want you to just accept whatever they throw at you. That's like the corporate uh, mind frame. And corporate has always been racist. So mm-hmm. they know 
But when they bring us here, new Africans, we're not going to get a lot of the good jobs. They're going to favor, you know, the Hispanic population, mainly because this area is more Mexicans than it is, you know, uh, uh, black and white. And most of the officers who work here are Mexican from this area, you know, with the exception of a few, uh, I would say, white supremacist-minded CEOs who are the higher-ranking ones. Mm-hmm. And if you share their ideology, you can have that high-ranking. But you can count black CEOs probably on one hand. Yeah, that's deliberate. So, that's know, a, that's, I mean, this that's what, right? I mean, that's what this prison system is about. It it. It's fostering this this white supremacist, uh, racist ideas, ideals. Yeah. That's that's how they that's how they want it to be. It's by design that there's only yeah. a few of you there. That you're not, you don't have. They don't want you to have the support. They want you. Yeah, you have to fight for everything you get. That's how it's been yeah. since the days of slavery. Yes, yes, that is so true. But the good thing about it is, when I was in the shoe, I noticed that an elder comrade used to always tell me, when we, when we become awakened and develop our consciousness, mm-hmm. it's imperative that we teach the other ethnicities about that so they can study their own cultural practices and re- realize that they're just as exploited as we are. And a lot of times, they don't take the time to do such. And when they do, and their eyes become open just like us, then they see that their struggle was no different than ours, and they realize who the real enemy is. And now you can stand in real solidarity, realizing it's a class struggle and not just a race struggle. And you see who started the race case system from the onset, and that's yeah. how you challenge that. And it, it's very, it, it is very, um, I, it, was, it was very uplifting when I started learning these different tools that the elders taught me. And I realized, had I not even came to the shoe, I would have only got a partial education because all the righteous ones were in the shoe. And I wanted to be around that. I mean, even though we don't like to be confined to the type of our setting, it's further neutralizing us as well as neutralizing our collective efforts. We still rose above it because the struggles that our answers do were much worse. So when you fall into that study and you become awakened, um, you welcome that opportunity. So to release us and scatter us through the prison system, now we can build those revolutionary schools. And it wasn't ironic that they kept me right here in Corcoran. Um, I mean, because sending me across the street to South Africa was no different than being here. You, you let some of the IGIs uh, become regular CEOs and follow a, follow a lot of us to these main lines as it was to watch us and watch our movements. But the beauty of going to South Africa is I met a lot more elders who I didn't know before except through voices or through letters. You know, I never saw them face-to-face. So mm-hmm. being over there, I was able to meet um, others, and they welcomed me. And the only thing they could all say is, is pretty much the same. The fight has changed. It's gotten bigger. Now you're going to have more challenges to face. But you're well-trained and educated to where you don't need to be around us. You can spread your wings and fly. And remember to do the same thing. Make a smooth path for those who are going to walk behind you, no matter how challenging it is. Be patient and teach these youngsters. So that's the joy I get now. And it's not easy. Believe me, it's not easy. No, it's not. I'm wondering if you would be willing to to drill down a little bit more on uh, 
when you talk about how you learned from the 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 elders that were in the shoe and why the why they're in there why are you why are they in there and you're having you're learning from them what, what do you think that's about I'd like to hear your perspective well, on they, that well once you came to prison in the 60s and 70s you see racism and you didn't understand classism or you didn't understand capitalism or fascism you didn't know what you were up against you just knew that you were fighting the same things that you were fighting in, in the 60s and 70s in society you know so this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded which society sends people who break their laws they was able to fight militarily at the same time educate themselves and develop a consciousness as um as a black man and those black folks that you know that are no longer here like W.R. Nolan you know Comrade George you know um Huey Newton, Elders, but those that came to prison, they they set a certain tone. You know, when you read James Miller's book Bad or James Corr's book Bad, and you learn about James Miller and you learn about you know Solidar Brothers and San Quentin Six, you understand that they were fighting a, a system that was so repressive that it kept George isolated. But once you learn that and you see it from the way it is, it really didn't too much change. It just made you welcome it. And a lot of those brothers, those elders, they were fighting tooth and nail physically in the military sense, to whereas the only way to isolate them is to build controlled units so that they can confine them in there to neutralize them. Because when they educated others who stayed in general population, they followed suit, but not to the strongest extent of those who were inside their confinement. You know? Um, and, 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 when you learn about that, you see why, you know. They don't want you to, to awaken others to their conditions because they can challenge that and win freedoms that they didn't even know they had. And it's the same fight that they took away when they start incarcerating all the Panthers inside. If the Panthers would have had success, we would have more socialist uh, self-help uh, programs in our communities, and they wouldn't have been able to get the drugs in to get us to partake in that. You know, we would have had a quality education in the school systems. You know, we wouldn't have had to depend on government assistance, which they went haywire with. You know, they even created the hood housing program just to keep us stagnated. You know, allowing other ethnicities to put businesses in our communities where we had to utilize you know, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And um, instead of letting us create our own small businesses, and then, you know, at will, if they want to build a freeway or a shopping mall or something, they come take your small businesses down anyway and say it's eminent domain. You know, so when you learn all that, it's not hard to now challenge those things. And when you challenge those things and you work in solidarity with others, it becomes a collective thing. And everybody does their part because some people might be more skilled at doing something than you. So when you're trying to do something, um, you rise to that occasion and you might just be strictly fighting the economic struggle while somebody else is fighting the political struggle or the legal struggle or the psychological struggle. But learning all of it so that you can teach it all to others you build your own collective when you're not around those elders, and you can still keep the battle going. So, you know, they, they, they 
lied to society and said, you know, the elders were the worst of the worst, but in all in all right, now they were the best of the best because I would have never got that quality education that I felt I deserved if I wouldn't have been around them. Now I can be successful because of that. You know, so they did me a favor, you know. And I welcome it and, and I look to continue to, to pass that torch when my time comes. Well, Emily, well, I'm going to say your 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 time is is happening because we are now getting the benefit of that as well out here. I mean, that was just a beautiful uh, lesson in what's going on with this with this racialized capitalism in what ten minutes, seven minutes. So thank yeah, you yeah, so much to get for as that. Much out as, as I can. <laughs> yeah, I try awesome. to get as much out as I can. You know, no, I mean, it's, it's, yes. you know, it's a continual practice. It's, I mean, once you see, like right now what goes on, like the stuff that comes out of Trump's mouth doesn't surprise me. He's not political. He's strictly an economist, a capitalist, and he is a fascist. And he shows you in action and not just in deeds. So nothing shocks me, surprises me what he says. I'm just glad he's revealing himself. Just like George said that it was already here. 30 years ago. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. and they're showing you. They don't care no more, you know? Um, right. The sad thing is we're not winning everybody over just yet. There's some who still are trying to reach for that 1% class when they don't realize they're eliminating the middle. You know, they're trying to make you poor, keep you poor, so they can continue to benefit in their small, you know, minority 1% class. But... If we continue to build off the revolution in this movement that we see today, more people will welcome it. And if we stop the crimes that are still happening in our inner city communities, then it will give a lot of more encouragement of others who are in the middle to help more, you know. Um, And that's the beauty of revolution. It brings everyone together. You know, Fred Hampton had the right and correct idea, and they were so scared of him that they assassinated him. You know, so same with George, you know, Um, they assassinated him, too, because, you know, he 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 educated. He showed the importance of educating. This is the front you need to educate. So, yeah, we're more advanced. Um, We have a lot of more uh, development and growth, but we have to continue to utilize what we already know and, and begin to relearn what we don't know you know, or what we've forgotten from being docile and isolated for so long so that we can have a better future. Because right now at this time, these young fertile minds are able to grow and gravitate to a lot of what's going on because they can see it. And if you teach them something that they're not aware of, they're not familiar with, they're not going to really grasp it. Now, like somebody like myself, who's only been in prison 15 years, I can reach a lot of them a lot easier than my elders can. Because my elders have been gone for so long that they have to relearn everything for how to mm-hmm. interact with, with mm-hmm. a lot of this young, young generation. So it's, it's important to put them away from this materialism, uh, this respect and disregard for women. It's, it's, you know, it's imperative that we put them away from that and continue to feed them what's necessary to help them thrive and grow and prosper mentally. And the more we're able to do that, the more success that we'll see. So... Yeah, you're right. The time is now. And, um, you know, that's what I've been doing. And I don't get discouraged, you know, for every... You have 60 seconds remaining. 
every resentment I get, it just makes me push harder. It just makes me show, it makes me step back outside myself and watch and look for another opening so that I can slide in so I can push harder. And when they see that I'm persistent, don't give up, and that it works, they tend to gravitate a little bit more closely to me, which is a good thing, you know. So we'll be able to finish this conversation later. I'm sure yeah. right now i got to go. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. they don't give us enough time. But uh, you take care of yourself out there. I'll send you my bulletproof love. And mm-hmm. uh Wish everybody else the same. Good health. Stay strong out there, and, and remember, never to give up. We will win in the end if we don't. That is right. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your inspiration. And William, when we'll talk, call again whenever you can. Okay, sis. Talk to you soon. Send my love. All right. Now back to you. All right. Well, I am inspired and uplifted. And we are going to take a musical break. And I hope that you will stay with us because we have more great voices to hear ahead. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Thank you. 
Okay, people, not on our watch. Let's fight for abolition now. Peace and blessings, sisters and brothers. This is Keith Malik Washington, the assistant editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. Today, I want to speak briefly about my relationship with Kevin Rashid Johnson, a currently incarcerated, politicized prisoner who has become an actual leader of the prisoner human rights movement from inside. Uh, Rashid is the Minister of Defense for the new African Black Panther Party. And we met approximately 12 years ago um, through a friend and comrade, fellow comrade named Jeremy Ishmael Busby, who is also a very influential prisoner in Texas who is doing some wonderful things uh, towards his own exoneration and his own freedom campaign. But today we're talking about Rashid and his impact on my life. I would not be the person who I am today if I did not meet Kevin Rashid Johnson. Rashid extended his contacts to me within the media world and also other revolutionaries and freedom fighters within the you know, abolition movement. And by him doing so, I was able to create coalitions and collaborations with individuals all over the United States and even Europe as I grew into my own revolutionary practice. I ask you today to listen to this short interview that we've done, that Nube and I have done with Rashid. And, you know, we really need a national outcry to put pressure on the Indiana Department of Corrections, who is actually engaged in an act of collusion and conspiracy to have Rashid attacked by an armed prisoner. I don't want to get long-winded here, but uh, we have some things online that you might want to view to learn a little bit more about Kevin Rashid Johnson. He's an amazing artist, and some of the writings that he has done on socialism and revolutionary socialism are second to none. You really should do some research into his work. And like I said, I would not be the person I am today without Rashid, so I just want to give peace and blessings to my brother Rashid and send um, well wishes and freedom his way and just strength and unity and all of the good things that revolutionaries have for each other. This is Comrade Malik, San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. Thank you. So you want to record a message, like a, a specific message that we can put on the radio? Okay, hey, Rashid, do you want to do you want to record a specific message right now that you want put on the radio? Because you know, New Bay got the radio show every Thursday. If you got something to say, this is the time to say it. Tell me when you're ready. Oh, you want to say something? Oh, uh, <laughs> I better I better request it than I am with this off the cuff uh, statement. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, but if you want to... You, you can even just introduce yourself, say who you are, yeah. where you are, what you're doing, if you want. If you want. Okay, well, go ahead. We'll, we'll try this out. Go ahead, go ahead. We're waiting on you. Okay, all power to the people. This is Kevin Rossi, Johnson. Uh, I'm in prison in Indiana, the Department of Corrections in the SHU. Uh, recently I was confined in this issue from the general population as a result of an altercation that I was involved in at uh, Cunderson Correctional Facility where uh, according to the prison officials' own statements, their own disciplinary reports, I was attacked 
by another prisoner whom they facilitated moving from uh, another housing unit into my housing unit when this is, you know, specifically against the rules and the only way that he would have been able to enter into my housing unit was that staff, you know, facilitated it by allowing him through locked doors. Uh, they admit that I was attacked. Uh, I received a stab wound in the palm of my hand as a result, and in turn, he received uh, numerous uh, injuries. Um, I'm now being held in the shoe as a result of that altercation. I was denied uh, participation in a disciplinary process where I was given a charge, accused of assault with a weapon, and a guard alleged that they were injured also in the altercation after they had already been taken to medical and cured of any injuries. They later came back several hours later claiming that they had an injury, and this would have been the same guard who would have facilitated uh, the prisoner coming into the unit from another unit when he wasn't supposed to nor allowed. And um, I'm trying to gain, you know, support in getting that disciplinary infraction overturned because as a result, I was given 365 days of disciplinary confinement in the shoe, which is solitary confinement. Also, uh, I'm being held responsible for restitution for the medical expenses that both the prisoner and the guard incurred for treatment for their alleged injuries. of all my visitation privileges for six months and other penalties. So I would like, if possible, for people to bring some pressure to bear to try to aid in having this fraudulent disciplinary conviction overturned. I was not allowed to participate in the hearing process. They um, denied me the ability to present a defense. They didn't allow me to present evidence. I was on strip sale. They had denied me all of my property at the time that the disciplinary proceeding was going on. So I wasn't able to prepare a defense in, you know, at any level. And that is a primary concern at this point, you know, getting that bogus conviction overturned and um, being uh, cleared of having to be held responsible for these medical expenses of this guard and this prisoner and, you know, being held in solitary confinement. And that is uh, the request that I would make at this time, all power to the people. Thank you, Rashid, for allowing us to get your voice out to the people, and you know you have our support out here. Uh, if anyone would also like to know more about Kevin Rashid Johnson, see his artwork, his writings, please go to visit his website at rashidmod.com. That's R-A-S-H-I-D-M-O-D dot com. All right. Now, um, up next is our weekly Prison Focus Mailbox. I do encourage all of you to visit our website at uh, www.prisons.org. Please read the um, archived Prison Focus newsletter. Uh, listen to the archived Prison Focus radio episodes. Visit Minister King on Cage Universal's uh, at his YouTube page at Cage Universal. There you will hear his music and commentary. Um, he's just doing great things there. But please also, if you can, make a donation to California Prison Focus, this uh, scrappy uh, human rights, prisoner human rights organization 
um, has been around for 30 years and, um, and the only way we can survive is if the community comes together, big or small, anything in between, um, is greatly appreciated. Again, go to www.prisons.org. Those of us who identify as prison abolitionists, as opposed to prison reformers, uh, make the point uh, that oftentimes reforms uh, uh, create situations where um, mass incarceration becomes even more entrenched. Mailbox. Hear the unvarnished truth from the ostracized, politically despised, and those tortured and left for dead. From California Correctional Institution to Tehachapi, California, January 2020. Dear California Prison Focus. Dear sir, Madam, state officials, friends, comrades, and volunteers, we, the inmate population of one of CDC small R's 34 centers of rehabilitation, are launching a campaign to gain support for a noble cause, the education of over 100,000 of enslaved peoples. Chief goal is to have a uniform TV education programming at all of CDC small R's prisons. In this manner, the peoples can have a choice between watching Jerry Springer and TED Talks or Link TV. As an example, consider this. None of programmed TV channels is educational. Thus, inmates can go for years or even decades being fed a worthless 24-7, 365-day-a-year TV programming, lacking any intellectual, historical, or philosophical value. Our minds absorb this garbage for our own detriment, and this is why we have grown men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, acting up as if they were teenagers. Our average TABE score ranges between 1.0 and 5.0. Inmates that can't read don't like books. If one doesn't read books, one can't apply the knowledge within them in our lives. Inmates being kept in darkness that spent their best years playing cards or dominoes. They are drowning in ignorance and are easier to manipulate into joining gangs and committing more crimes. Recently, there was a riot in Facility A. Several inmates were seriously hurt in December, January 2019. A few days ago, another riot at the same Facility A, January 2020. This violence occurs not because inmates enjoy hurting or killing each other. It happens because of our inherited ignorance and the sophisticated brainwashing techniques that we are exposed to in prison. Many of us were part of the violence and chaos pervading CDC small r. 
And we know that unless our education campaign is launched as part of our rehabilitation, the new generation of inmates will follow our steps. They will become permanent CDCR residents until they die. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of lifers that are denied a chance of parole over CDC 115's disciplinary actions that happened 10 years ago, when, by design, we were housed in our youth at facilities where violence, chaos, and gangs were king and queen. We could not have survived without becoming part of the already established gangs in control of the facilities. The environment in which we are housed dictate our behavior. Today, we know that as enslaved people, we have no say as to where we are housed, nor as to how the monies destined to be spent in our rehabilitation are to be handled. But we know one thing for sure, for men that spend most of their days sitting inside a cement box with nothing to do, an educational TV programming would help to learn something of value. The idle time inside the cement box is the reason we cover our bodies with tattoos, use drugs, and drink pruno, and that we go out there and create more victims to come back to the only life that we know, the cement box. Educational TV programming won't fully eliminate recidivism, but it will surely help to acquire one iota of culture among the Jerry Springer fans. Respectfully yours, Martin. California Prison Focus is a small community-based organization that works with and on behalf of California prisoners before, during, and after COVID-19. We have vowed to investigate and expose human rights abuses within California prisons through prison visits and correspondence and widespread dissemination of our quarterly prison reports. Under the guise of the Prison Human Rights Movement Blueprint, we are asking both the inside and outside artists to get involved with the agreement to come home, which you can learn more about on our website, prisons.org. Our primary resources rely entirely upon donations and subscriptions of our prison-focused newspaper which is published every three to four months. This include our new zine, Uncaged Slave, 24 hours ago. And we welcome you to get involved with our various platforms. Why? Because together, as one voice, we say liberate our caged brothers and sisters. Freeing one is freeing community to end all hostilities. Prison Focus, a training school enriched by a collective curriculum. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. But before I go, um, I'd like to um, tell you that um, I am recording this on September 23rd, Wednesday, September 23rd. And today is the day in 1955 uh, when white jurors in Mississippi acquit Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam in the Emmett Till murder. So today is the remembrance of that very un, um, unfortunate, atrocious, and unjust acquittal. And the pain of that um, still is with us to this day. All right. Um, with that in mind, I do want to say have a beautiful, still have a beautiful, beautiful week. Stay together. Stay unified. Um, remember that in each and every one of us, we are we make up the power of the people. 
All right, get ready for work week with uh, Steve Seltzer. <laughs>